Okay, look, it's uh, the Friendly Neighborhood Webhead Podcast, and we're back with Spider-Man 2. We finished the first movie without any injuries, deaths, or dismemberments, <laughs> and uh, we're ready to keep going. So uh, Sam Raimi, Tobey Maguire, and the whole crew are back with Spider-Man 2, brand new villain, and this came up on... Uh, a ridiculously quick timetable after Spider-Man 1, and we're excited to talk about it. I'm Eric Burnham. Hello, everybody. With me is Ethan Colchamero. Sir, how are you doing? I am well, Eric. Thank you very much. Thank you to all of our listeners. We're excited to be launching Season 2 of the Friendly Neighborhood Webhead Podcast with my personal favorite Spider-Man movie, Spider-Man 2. I think this one really has the uh, the consensus as, as possibly the best of the Spider-Man movies, and it's also, it's held up so well, and we're going to talk about all that in just a second. Okay, Spider-Man 2, the sequel, it came out really soon, uh, comparatively speaking, after Spider-Man 1. It was uh, 2004 to the first one's 2002, which is like light speed for franchise movies. Absolutely. You know, Sony, uh, when when the just box office, you know, behemoth that the first film was, Sony put pedal to the metal on the second film. And I think everybody involved from all the stories that I've read and I've read the, you know, the book uh, that was that came out with the movie uh, about the making of the film and listen to the commentary i mean it seemed like it was really a breakneck uh schedule but um man did they just improve uh, on every great thing all the seeds they planted in in the first film uh just really uh just you know bore great fruit well, I'm interested about that because the first one had a longer period of development. The third one had a longer period of development. The second one, which, as we said, most people regard as the best of this trilogy, and uh, many also regard as the best of the Spider-Man franchise as a whole, and uh, several more regard it as one of the best superhero movies of all time. So to have all that with a super abbreviated time to actually write it and develop it, there was uh, quite a few people working on the story. Uh, mm -hmm. The Smallville fellas, uh, right? Goen Miller, and right. uh, also uh, Michael uh, Shaban. I believe it's Shaban, right? Oh, right. Oh, oh God, I got it right. I'm so excited. <laughs> if Go I ahead. can just interject for just a second, uh, the the story, the way I heard it, and it's mm -hmm. very unique, very very different than a typical Hollywood gestation of a movie, is that both Michael Shaban and the it, it's Gal, right? Gowan Miller worked separately on their stories. Uh, you know, Michael Shaban had, had a story that he developed. Gowan Miller had a story that they developed. And then Alvin Sargent cherry-picked uh, and and kind of weaved together the best elements of both things. But they, they, they did not collaborate from everything that, that I had read. This is a method that was used in the studio system. You know, throw a bunch of stuff into the blender and see what comes out. Uh, Hitchcock used this method occasionally, and I believe it was most recently used with the Wonder Woman film. So it's not something that is unknown in Hollywood, but it is, you know, not always the way we think of things being put together. All right, so we've talked about the story. Now we're going to go back into the credit sequence. This movie opens with uh, some beautiful Alex Ross paintings depicting the events of Spider-Man. It's interesting that they did this silent recap for the audience. Uh, it was a year, year and a half since the movie, uh, the original movie had been in theaters. So most people probably didn't need the recap. Then again, society has the attention span of a goldfish. So, uh, you know, I mean, Raimi probably had the right call there. Anyway, Alec Ross painted up some beautiful uh, images. Uh, he realized Spider-Man in the painting as classic Spider-Man. He had the Ramita eyes mm -hmm. and uh, barely uh, acknowledged the raised webbing. So it looked like classic 1970s Spider-Man on the screen, along with Willem Dafoe, Tobey Maguire, and that uh, 
armored green goblin costume. So, I mean, uh, Ross put his foot down on that yeah. and he went his way. Yeah, I think that that really worked well. I mean, that was a nice touch to see this sort of classic Spidey costume, even when it was uh, ripped up and, and we just saw those little glimpses of uh, Tobey Maguire's face through it. But um, from just that opening credit sequence, um, it's done so much more elegantly than 2002's opening credit sequence, which I think even at then it kind of looked like video game graphics. And when you're watching the opening credit sequence of Spider-Man 2, it's almost like a premiumization of the first film. Like yeah. you, you, you can see Sony has really ponied up for better, better special effects. They've, even though it was a rushed production, they really uh, just made the effort to, to elevate everything. So it's funny watching the two films so close together and you see what a, you know, how much more elegant and how much more, you know, nuanced the opening credit sequences are when you compare the two of them. Uh, it's really very lovely. And as we uh, discussed before, that came from another Spider-Man development. It was an idea that David Fincher had when he was uh, in the running to make the first Spider-Man film. He just wanted to have Peter's entire origin story, bitten by the bug, Uncle Ben, the whole nine yards, take place in images over the credits. And then he would jump to Peter's in college, he's Spider-Man, we're off to the races, Gwen Stacy, Green Goblin, Bridge, oh no. And I think they probably made the right choice to go the way they did, but it's, uh, it's nice to see how nothing is truly wasted when it's a good idea. Yes, moving on. So uh, we get to the end of those credits, and that's three minutes into the movie. We start with narration, but we don't end with it. Spoilers, I know, but it was interesting that they did that. They they kind of segued into the movie with the narration, but then didn't continue on, at least to the best of my knowledge. If I forgot the ending narration and somebody's going to send us a message saying, did you watch this movie? I did. <laughs> it was late at night. I was tired, and I was riveted anyway. So uh, we open with with uh, Peter having terrible luck trying to deliver pizzas in Manhattan. He's told he's not dependable. He's told he's late all the time. We know why, because he's saving people as Spider-Man and he can't just stop. But it makes him a terrible pizza delivery man and he is given an impossible delivery. He has to get across town with, what is that, like eight, ten pizzas. And he has to do it in like 12 minutes to get with the guaranteed delivery time of the pizza joint. And this uh, has something that I remember got a big laugh in the theater. He uh, zooms his little motorcycle into an alley and then spider-man comes out with the pizzas and the guy says hey he stole that guy's pizzas <laughs> that's a perfect yeah. little spider-man moment yeah and I, I love the way they set that up as though y you think that the bystander who if i remember right was one of the uh cast regulars on the Chappelle show but he you, you feel like he's discovered peter's secret identity you think that that, that i always thought was the joke they were setting up of like he mm -hmm. sees peter running down the street with a bunch of pizzas and then he sees spider-man swinging by with a bunch of pizzas and it's like oh no he's his his identity is given up and then it's like no he stole that guy's pizzas and then that it kind of also shows you what people's opinion of spider-man uh, has become uh, over the last year or two uh, reading daily bugle editorials about uh, our masked menace it's true now he has every bit of a delay that he could possibly find he has to rescue some kids who are playing in the street mm -hmm. he you know he he leaves some pizzas on a balcony some guy tries to eat them because you know free pizza mm -hmm. but he does eventually get to the uh the business where he's supposed to deliver them 
he comes out of the broom closet, which nobody finds odd. There's a nice little awkward <laughs> moment of him that just, it, it goes on just long enough to feel awkward of him trying to put the brooms back in the closet and they keep oh falling. My goodness. The secretary watching him. Nobody says anything. Nobody says, why, how, where were you come from? That's a broom closet. But <laughs> right, he nobody questions them. that. Nobody Although questions I, I feel like he, he spent more time trying to rearrange the brooms than mm-hmm. he did getting the 28 blocks in nine minutes. Like the, the, it goes on so long. It's so wonderfully comical. And for, you know, as much as we discussed, uh, you know, Tobey Maguire's uh, quips and things like that were not in his wheelhouse, uh, the physical comedy of him trying to work his way out of a broom closet uh, was some really hysterical moments. It was great. And uh, the secretary was uh, one of our first cameos in this mm-hmm. movie. A cameo? Or was this just a small role that she got leading up to uh, the film? Well, I mean, it was it was a small role. It was before she was famous. But I'm calling right. it a cameo because, sure. I mean, I recognize her now. <laughs> it's a, high, a hindsight cameo. It was uh, Emily right. Deschanel playing a character completely unlike what I was familiar with on her for years on TV. TV, which mm-hmm. makes it funnier in retrospect. I mean, it was fine when it came out, but because of the show, it becomes funnier. Uh, Peter's late. She's not paying for it. Uh, tough rocks, you know, that, and that, uh, yes. Brooklyn accent that she laid on. I, mm-hmm. I thought it was hysterical in 2004, and I found it even more hysterical now that I'm more familiar with her mm-hmm. as an actress. Uh, but yeah, that, that was a great moment. Yeah. So she denied him. And then we cut to Jonah Jameson early because they know what they had. They're not going to make mm-hmm. us wait anymore. Here's Jonah. And uh, <laughs> I, uh, I loved this scene partly because of again we we enjoyed in the first movie his rapid fire spinning of the plates talking to five people at once he's talking to robbie he's putting off betty who's got his wife on the phone and then there's hoffman and my i just i i wound up chuckling and re-watching the moment where he says not now he goes back to arguing with robbie he looks at hoffman still not now and that still not now just cracks me up yeah that's a great little moment where um you know we see everybody that we kind of fell in love with from the daily bugle office uh, we get reintroduced to them. A great sort of old Hollywood zany newspaper office, you know, and, and of course, Peter is completely unfazed by it. You know, he's he's part of the crew now. That's, a, yeah. you know, one of the things I really like about Spider-Man 2 is we see the progression of these characters since the last time we, we met them, we saw them, and we see that Peter is a better Spider-Man now. Definitely not a wide-eyed, you know, naif in the Daily Bugle office. And, you know, another important moment that I think uh, we see very early in Spider-Man 2, that first time we see him swinging with the eight pizzas is infinitely better special effects than it, oh, yeah. the entire 2002 movie put together. We're not seeing rubber characters anymore. We're not seeing things that are clearly CGI that where you have to really participate in the suspension of disbelief because of how basic the special effects were. Like clearly money has been spent uh, in Well, they, in yeah, they felt too. like they had a little bit more weight. Sure. The the effects. He had a little bit more gravity, a little bit more weight to him. This also gives us a a moment of Jonah being generous. He offers Peter, what, like a hundred bucks? Yeah. And Peter asks for quite a bit more. And and it just rolls off Jonah's back. That's outrageous. Done. (laughs) (laughs) And it just, I enjoyed it. But he's he's looking through Peter's portfolio, looking at all the other stuff he's taking pictures of. It's crap. It's terrible. You know what I want. Why aren't you just giving him a yes? (laughs) And I enjoy that. I enjoy it because Jonah still at this point feels like a human being. Mm. He feels a little bit more like a character as the movie goes on. And by the third movie, he's a cartoon. But he's still human in this first scene. And I, uh, I love it. And this sets up one of the 
the things that I, I appreciated the most about Spider-Man 2 when I first saw it and, and even to this day, Raimi, I, it was very important to him that the audience really understand that being a hero and doing the right thing has a cost. And I think he wanted the young people in the audience to really understand that he, he's not just feeding them this kind of platitudes of like, oh, be a hero, do the right thing. Being Spider-Man and being a hero is really hard. It takes a huge toll on Peter in the course of this film. And this is really a young boy learning to be a man. Peter becomes a man throughout the course of this film. And it is in no way, shape or form easy at any point. And, you know, we see he's, he's just lost his pizza delivery job. That's a source of income that's out the door. He, you know, haggles with uh, Jonah for his should be getting uh, for his services. And then when he turns the voucher into Betty, hopefully I'm not getting too far ahead. It doesn't cover the advance she gave him a few weeks ago. So again, we have a situation where we get the impression that he's probably not living with Harry anymore after how things went down. So here he is just struggling in every way where doing what's required of him is taking its toll on him as a person. And and like we said, you know, every time Spider-Man wins, Peter loses. And Spider-Man won saving those children, but Peter lost his pizza job. And now he also has to sort of humiliate himself by selling Jonah a picture that he knows Jonah will use to humiliate him, insult him, tarnish his name. And he has to suck up the abuse from the owner of the pizzeria who who just says, you, you don't care about anything. You're right. <laughs> you, you, you have no sense of responsibility. And he just has exactly. to suck that up. We even get Kurt Connors, uh, his first appearance um, was mentioned uh, in the first film, but never shown. He, he was brought back here and he's just saying Peter is not keeping up with his work. He's, you know, his grades are slipping. Everything is circling the drain and he's just getting kicked around left and right. So he goes home to Aunt May and we find out that it's his birthday and he'd forgotten. And has that ever happened to you? Because it's happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> I, the weight of that, I mean, watching that, it's it's so depressing. And also, it's funny, you know, a few people have reached out to me and, and said how much they enjoyed your uh, anecdote about, uh, from the first film, the lines from the movie that, that have stayed with your family. And one of the lines from Spider-Man 2 that has stayed with me, uh, as especially now as a father, is uh, planning is not a major at this university. <laughs> and uh, that is a line that I drop very often. And even when people don't know the connection, they don't get the Spider-Man 2 connection, the line just works every time. Oh, yeah. But um, still. still, he has to suck up a lot of abuse from Mr. Aziz and, uh, of course, uh Dr. Connors, every time he does the right thing, someone's going to say that he is, you know, just not participating. Mm -hmm. So anyway, it is Peter's birthday and the entirety of his party is Aunt May, Harry and Mary Jane. And I'm just like, you know, Peter, I feel like you should have some more friends. He was planning to make more friends. He was planning on it. Yes, he was. Right. He was. He was. He was going to work it out. He was. He was going to get there. Yes. But uh, it was great. It was great for a surprise birthday party. It was funny to me that he forgot it because, I mean, sometimes so much fills up with life. You forget little things. I've forgotten holidays. I forgot, you know, my own birthday until I've gotten, you know, somebody saw it on Facebook and reminded me like, oh, yeah, that's right. It's today. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so we had that. Harry's there. MJ is there. They're not awkward, which is nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sitting here going, why is Harry in charge of special projects at yeah. Oscorp? With no science background, he had to lean on Peter to get him through everything. With you know, he's he sounds like he's he's got the uh, purse strings 
but the company the last I heard was going to be sold. What? How is it profitable enough to have all the money to pay for it? And why is Harry, a guy who hasn't even completed college, being given the go-ahead to spend the money? I mean, that's one of those those little comic book things that we have to forgive <laughs> because sure, it's not where anywhere near the real world. Although maybe it is. I mean, he's he's a he. <laughs> He's a rich kid with everything handed to him. (laughs) You could kind of see this thing where, you know, Norman, in the eyes of the the world, this billionaire dies a a hero or not, you know, dies in some mysterious fashion. And then he has this handsome son who's the heir apparent to the company. And you in today's sort of social media world where, you know, you have these children of rich people who become celebrities because they're children of rich people and ostensibly run fashion lines and all sorts of businesses maybe maybe but also it's 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 pretty unlikely and and kind of baffling but yeah i mean i can see him being the face of a company it's hard to see him taken seriously as the guy making the decisions but he's still living in the house he's he's got all the money he's 20 maybe 21 uh so it's just it's super weird that uh that harry has become his father and he's still competing with his father still grumbling about his father i'm going to outdo i'm going to make this company better than he ever had it so i like that competitiveness with him and at the party he still has a little bit of a spider-man fixation it's not all the way crazy yet he doesn't like that peter's taking pictures of him and you know he makes sure to grumble about that but he hasn't gotten into obsessive territory yet they kind of build that out over the course of the film and i liked that i like that he's he's still got it on his mind but he's not a babbling loony there's so much about this scene i really love i mean this is uh if you didn't know it by this point this is a scene that really tells us that we're in an elevated film here and one of the many things i like about it is where we see Harry and MJ and Peter, it's clear they seem like young adults now. They seem like people who have more responsibilities, more weight. They've aged a little bit. Their hair style is a little different. They just seem more mature the way you do when life has you know, given you a lot to deal with. At the same time, they, they still seem like children i mean <laughs> yes you know um but children with more responsibility a little a few more miles on them since the last time we saw them so immediately you can see how much has progressed since the last film without the film having to tell you they they show you they don't tell you and that obviously is always a, a sign of, of great storytelling and harry and peter it's clear there's tension now mm-hmm. clear there's tension there's resentment uh, you know peter wants to move forward with their friendship but he also wants to honor norman's dying wish of, of not telling harry and not revealing that his father was a murderous villain and also you can uh, see what's happening with this love triangle of peter and harry and mj where yeah. maybe there's still some lingering feelings that harry has but he's also trying to honor his his friends you know love for her and and peter is avoiding her because he's spider-man it, it's just a there's just so many sweet little moments and then of course just a heartbreaking heartbreaking moment with beautiful acting by rosemary harris yes i have that written down this is something that that rang absolutely true to me she's got money problems a lot of mm-hmm. money problems and of course peter has money problems so she tries to give him 20 bucks and he doesn't want to take her money and she snaps i mean mm-hmm. she snaps her she goes you take it it's her pride and she loves him and she's going to make him take this thing she's not going to let him give up on little birthday joy because of her problems and it's hard when you want to do something for someone you love and they they don't want to accept it because they want you 
to keep you know the money or the gift or the time right and it's just it's it's just a conflict of i want to do something for you no no don't do something for me this is right. no this is the yeah yeah and then it just becomes frustrating and anyway it was something that had a lot of truth to it and i appreciated that they had stuff like that in this movie it made the characters a little bit more real which mm. helps when you have things like Harry running a, a special <laughs> projects exactly. division at a multinational right. corporation. But uh, I love that. It was it was realistic and the melodrama was good. Harry and May both gave Peter guilt trips about Spider-Man mm-hmm. in the space of the same party. And that was something. I yeah. uh, I liked that as well. So he, he even gets he even gets the guilt, the Spider-Man uh, guilt dropped on him from his friends and family. So all good stuff. And then we move on to another backyard scene echoing uh, the original movie, Peter and Mary Jane in the backyard talking about life. Doesn't go well for Peter here either. <laughs> <laughs> still well, you know, still in movies, the village. <laughs> right. It's funny. A lot of a lot of films, when they try to call back to a, a scene from a previous film in the franchise, it typically is a sign that, you know, maybe they've run out of ideas or or they're trying to coast on the goodwill that they created from the last film. This callback is lovely and it's wonderful. And they they earn it by showing, again, the progression of the characters, how far they've come since that last backyard taking out the trash uh, moment. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it is it's, it's it's bittersweet. And we, we find that MJ is a got her first gig on Broadway which is a big a big deal well it also has you know she's feeling out if there's any interest there and he keeps changing the subject until finally a great kick in the teeth on your birthday mm. I'm seeing someone well call uh, mm. that's that's rough luck for Peter so yeah. he's had a, he's had a tough day he's lost his job he sold a picture but didn't get any money for it uh, his aunt and his best friend both give him crap about Spider-Man associating with Spider-Man taking pictures of Spider-Man Mary Jane is seeing someone he goes back to his awful apartment and his landlord wants the back rent and snatches his birthday money oh, this is <laughs> such a heartbreaker and well and that's there's a few things there one you know I, I love um, I've seen this movie dozens of times yeah. uh, you know and Every time I've seen it, the the scene with Aunt May telling him that that he can take the money, I know it's coming. But every time, it's like it's just a just a punch in the gut emotionally. Yes, it, it, it works every time. It, there, there's no diminishing returns on that scene. And also, no matter how many times I watch this movie, when Peter is told that MJ is seeing someone. His response, again, you know, having to give Tobey Maguire props when he does nail something comedically, his response of that's great companionship. (laughs) Every time I I chuckle, it it works every single time because it's such a a great response as he's trying to shield how wounded he is. He is by this revelation. But yeah, we, we go back to uh, the studio. Apart- it's so funny. It's such a sad little New York studio apartment with a glorious balcony. New York movies, people have always have fabulous apartments that would cost 10 times more than they could ever afford. You know, you know I'm thinking of like Lois Lane's penthouse. You know, not even Perry White could afford that uh, mm-hmm. place in, in Manhattan. You know, in this movie, it's like he does have this kind of really sad, crummy, you know, studio apartment that doesn't have a bathroom bathroom or a refrigerator or a kitchen there's a communal bathroom in the hallway but yeah. it does have just this glorious like sunroom with a balcony that probably would make renting just that room like fifteen hundred dollars a month which i don't think pizzas and and photos would pay for but at any rate yes we finally <laughs> meet uh mr ditkovich who yes. is a delight uh is still inspiring memes uh, 20 or 16 years later and um yeah, snatching that $20 right out of Peter's hand 
because of late rent. Like that's your birthday money, man. It's it was rough. And I tell you, I had a conflicting moment in the scene because it shouldn't have elicited this, but I also felt bad for Ditkovich's daughter, yes. <laughs> who is clearly taken with Peter oh. and just clearly shy. And it just, you know, hi, Peter. And then, you know, the the, the uh, pan on the stove catches fire. And I mean, it's just, it, it is adorable, but it's still just a little bit, a little bit sad. It's a sad in an awkward way. These movies really uh, amp up the awkwardness. It does have its place and it does work. But I still, I, I see her. I just feel bad because I'm just like, it's not going to work out for you. <laughs> no, but you know, the, the, the little crush Ursula, what a sweetheart, the crush throughout Spider-Man two and three that, that Ursula has on Peter always seemed very sweet. Oh yeah. I, I think that's another thing that, that these movies do very well is there's really nothing kind of purient about them because mm-hmm. uh, I think I think Peter as clueless as as every 20 something young man is I think Peter kind of gets that Ursula has a little crush on him and mm-hmm. he always interacts with her in ways that are super appropriate yes uh, not shutting her down but also not leading her on or taking advantage in any way I mean at any rate <laughs> um it's it's very sweet I mean I think it's it's very easy to fall in love with uh, both uh, Mr. Ditkovich and his daughter, Ursula. Yes. So now we move on to the introduction of Otto Octavius by Alfred Molina, who is fantastic in this movie. And we discussed Willem Dafoe's commitment to comic booky uh, dialogue in the first movie. And Molina just, I mean, he, he goes above and beyond with mm-hmm. the same kind of lines, but he's not there yet. He's not Doc Ock yet. He is Otto Octavius. He is initially meeting Peter, uh, remembering what uh, Connor said about him, quoting it back. That's what you said before. Brilliant, but lazy. Mm-hmm. And, and he's not interested in talking to somebody who is lazy. But, um, you know, this is where another line comes in uh, that I had written down that was a good intelligence is not a privilege. It's a gift. Mm-hmm. I like that. And then he tests Peter's intelligence by seeing what Peter can intuit about the invention, uh, he doesn't explain anything to Peter. Uh, he just lets him tell him about what he's seeing and what else and what else. And he learns who Peter is by that line of questioning. And that's that's an that's a good way to um, get Peter to change his opinion. It's uh, he shows he's got the brains. He actually does have the brains that Connors has said. Right, right. He lives up to the brilliant part of it. Um, and I think this is another just key moment uh, you know that they're they're setting things up here that that pay off in huge ways but it's a little bit of a departure from the original comics because when we first met dr otto octavius in in the lee and ditko comics he was a jerk he was not yes. uh, a nice guy he was very full of himself he was not somebody that you would ever feel uh, any tragedy for so i think the filmmakers were very smart in making him charming making him good-hearted and um i mean a father figure absolutely oh 100 percent. and you know him and rosalie just we fall in love with them so quickly and again you know we i've talked a lot about Raimi's not interested in all its subtlety or you know he, he's not ashamed to kind of wear his heart on his sleeve and play it to the cheap seats otto's speech about you know intelligence being you know a privilege and and it has to be used for the good of mankind i mean there's nothing 
cool or or self-conscious about that like they're just putting it out there like who i mean i I don't think a lot of people say that in the first time you meet them sort of give you their their reason to to exist in the world but it it, it again kind of feels very classic hollywood like something you would have seen you know orson welles say at some point or something like that uh so it's it's a lovely moment when we meet them and uh rosalie which uh is a character i think created for the film, um, the the two of them are just adorable, and and you believe their chemistry, you believe the history that they've been together for a long time. These are things that that you know only really solid actors can can do in a very quick scene. Oh yeah, no, they felt lived in the characters, mm-hmm. and I enjoyed the anecdote about the two of them meeting in college, him yes. with the science, her with the English, and him trying to figure out how to connect with her through poetry. I liked that. I liked that it cut to, uh, after Peter understands the science, the next thing is we see them at the at the dinner table and Otto say, I love this boy! <laughs> it's, he's He seems to be the same type of warm as Norman, but a little bit more genuinely so, because he's not trying to put his own son down right. at the same time. Is There's nothing uh, nothing sinister about the warmth. Um, but I, I like that, and I like that uh, to your point about earnestness, he just he comes right out and say, love should never be a secret. Mm-hmm. I, I, I liked that line enough to write it down. <laughs> it, uh, it, it was good stuff, and it was a nice way to quickly connect Peter to Otto and make him care about him so that all of the rest of the movie works a little bit better. Mm. And then we get uh, we move on. We get a little bit of a laundry humor, literally. Uh, the suit <laughs> the suit bleeds, and uh, and ruins his uh, ruins his whites. He's 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 getting set to go to see Mary Jane in the importance of being earnest, which is a hilarious title mm. to uh, mm-hmm. to be putting into this movie where everybody is earnest. No mistake that that was the play that they chose as sort of a subtext. Uh, and also, I feel like that that scene with Otto and Rosalie and Peter, it's one of those moments that's so important because you can see who Peter could be if he didn't have to be Spider-Man. And yes. I think that's a big struggle is and you see, you know, Peter, he, he's happy, he's funny, he's nerdy, he's sweet. The weight of b- being Spider-Man has been lifted and there's a nice moment as he's preparing to head out. Also, I love that uh, song by Jet. I love that the soundtrack in, in Spider-Man 2 is really I solid. I have this noted. I have this noted. The fact that the pop song just jumps in, mm-hmm. and this is one of two songs in the movie that does this, it really it really mm-hmm. sticks out in mm-hmm. the film more yeah, than just, call. you know, your orchestra. So I, I'm watching, and he's, he's getting ready, and the song's playing. I'm like, I don't dislike it, but it's still a little weird. <laughs> it feels it feels I mean it, it definitely calls attention to itself because sure, it's, it is it, more, I mean, you know, it's almost like a musical montage than a, a scene in a film but exactly um, yes yeah you, you you see Peter kind of struggling like mm, which suit am I going to wear tonight and mm-hmm. I think that's a really nice moment and of course we discover that he he chooses both of them so yeah so Peter is on his way he's on his way to the theater he's going to see MJ in the play he's excited she's clearly excited shows her getting all nervous and, and jittery because Peter's finally going to come to see her and he's putt-putting along on his little motorbike in traffic which i don't understand why he didn't just swing over and then change clothes but you know considering right. that that would be faster but no no putt-putting and he sees 
there's there's a disturbance, which is mm. <laughs> I like that. That's the thing that they use throughout the movie. There was a disturbance. Yes, a lot of disturbances in New York. Yeah. So he he uh, has. There's a cop chase. There's people with guns, and I really love the visual of him mm. catching that car with the web. There's yes. a car car flipped. It's going to hit a crowd and just stops, and then it camera pans over and we see the web catching it. That is a wonderful visual. He uh, he takes care of everything and he gets to the theater. He gets to the theater late and here's Bruce Campbell. Tie your shoe, straighten your tie. You can't go in. Yeah. I loved that. That was <laughs> <laughs> maintains the illusion. It mm. was uh, it was good stuff and more sad sack bad luck for Peter who has to go and sit outside and wait. Uh, Mary Jane uh, sees his empty seat. Is uh, it, it's bad enough that she misses a cue. Peter is just frustrated that his he you know blew this chance, and then he sees Mary Jane. She's come out. He's going to go say hello to her, and there's her new guy. They're kissing, and I mean that's just never a good thing to see. No, <laughs> it's 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 happened to just about everybody. You see affection between two people, and one of them you're interested in. So we all understand how Peter feels. Another sock to the gut. So he's upset, and off he goes, swinging around. And then his web stopped working. Yeah, I like how I'm just explaining the movie. Is what I'm. <laughs> well, we got we got to talk about it. We gotta, yeah, so we got to set up. But it's just it's it's funny. It feels like some of those reviews, uh, comic or movie reviews on YouTube, where they just say what happens right. and then give a random four stars out of twelve. <laughs> I okay. Oh. Do, do you have any thoughts about that at all? I gave you my thoughts. You summarized. That's right. Uh, but um, but no, so uh, Peter is uh, swinging around and the web stopped working and he falls. And that is a dizzying height to fall from. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I mean, of all the times that the webs could stop working, uh, mm. you know, and, you know, it's nice, too, because I remember on, on a lot of levels, this this plot development hits a lot of buttons for me. One. You know, one of the criticisms of the organic web shooters was that it robs you of those so many great moments in the comics where he runs out of web fluid and he has to think on his feet to get out of whatever pickle he's in in the moment because he doesn't have webs. And it kind of takes, you know, away the idea that, well, if anybody built web shooters, they'd be Spider-Man. It's like, no, there's a lot more to it than that. Yeah, obviously, you know, that's not a moment that you want to lose your webs. And I think as we talked about, uh, again, lack of subtlety, there were a lot of metaphors moments in the first film where the webs and his powers showing up at awkward times were were metaphors for puberty mm. and uh, again this sort of uh, we could call it uh, super impotence uh, is not exactly a subtle uh, thing but uh, it really shows that his, his body is starting to reject the weight and the pressure and the anxiety of being Spider-Man well, it's and true. it's doing and it, it in really bad times it's, yes exactly and there's a thing that i like that is not possible with the uh the web shooters with mm -hmm. the the typical web shooters now if the web shooters run out of webbing well he can look and say oh they're empty i know what's going on here with this he doesn't know why his webs are failing him mm -hmm. that's a significant cause of stress he doesn't know if it's going to work or not when he's 30 stories up he doesn't know why his body is changing is it changing in a worse way is it changing <laughs> in a better way there are no answers and it's not like he has anybody to go ask so this is just one more brick of stress that right. is piled on him that wouldn't be there with the mechanical web shooters he falls he lands on a building and uh we get to the second cameo of this first 25 percent 
as Peter rides awkwardly one more time in an elevator. We'll let you take this one. You were you were excited about it. This is such a hysterical moment. And this was a thing, you know, uh, we, we see Hal Sparks, a comedian and a former host of Talk Soup. And I believe he was the host of Talk Soup uh, or, or maybe had just ended his run when this film came out. So he was somebody that comedy savvy people would have would have recognized. And I think he also is someone who was unabashedly a, a comic book and, and pop culture fan. Uh, so it made a lot of sense uh, on both levels for him to be in this scene. We, we don't get the quips, but this is a, a very humorous moment. Uh, and Hal Sparks gets in with his dog to the elevator uh, in a high-rise building and um, immediately thinks that he's in the elevator with somebody going to a costume party or something like that. Uh, gives him props for his nice uh, Spidey costume. They have this great, super-duper awkward exchange, and the punchline of it that I love is after what seems like an intern long silence <laughs> of, of uh, awkward silence uh, almost as awkward as me trying to pronounce that word then Hal Sparks presses the down button yes so that whole time they weren't even going anywhere they were just standing awkwardly in an elevator that was not moving so that was that was a sweet uh funny a good moment. joke yeah. That's, now, that's... now the actual back and forth I, I wrote down because it it tickled me. Uh, his great Spidey costume. Where'd you get it? I made it. <laughs> Doesn't look comfortable. Yeah, it's a little itchy. And then there's quiet, and there's more quiet, and there's more quiet. He says, rides up in the crotch a little bit, and then the button. <laughs> so. <laughs> So the fact that Peter has to, the itchiness was enough, but he has mm -hmm. he rides up in the crotch, and that's that's enough to start pressing that button, open the door, move the elevator, do something. This is not comfortable. Um, we don't get any indication. I mean, we never know when we're seeing people in the suit when it's McGuire and when it isn't. I'd like to think that because this is a scene of of comedy, that it was Tobey Maguire in the suit at that point. Because the body language is absolutely hysterical. Like right after he says that hysterical line about uh, rides up in the crotch a little bit, you see him sort of shrink and bow his head in realizing that that should not have just come out of his mouth. And uh, it, it is a lovely kind of physical comedy moment that uh, is a perfect sort of capper uh, to that scene and to the first uh, quarter of the movie. We've gotten to our breakoff point, but I wanted to say that Peter Parker as an everyman is something that was built into the character and all the awkwardness and all the realizing he shouldn't have let words escape his mouth. Mm. That's the everyman that Raimi seems to have gone after, and I love it. We've uh, finished the movie talk, and we're moving on to the comics. Creators who have never done a run on Spider-Man that we would like to see do a run on Spider-Man, and maybe why that is. Now, it's going to be a little weird for me because half the people, well, all the people <laughs> that I'm thinking yeah. of are people that I know, so it, it seems a little a little odd. But, um, but you know, I'm going to run with it. But first, uh, let's see what you, you've got for your, uh, your Dreamcast. Yeah, absolutely. I had to think uh, about this because the challenge with this one is most of my favorite comic book creators are my favorites because of the work they've done on Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. So uh, to find somebody that uh, you know, I really connect with who hasn't worked on Spider-Man was a little bit of a uh, challenge. But I started thinking about, you know, who, who's really been exciting me lately? And uh, one of the last comic runs that, that I read and really enjoyed was uh, Paper Girls, the uh, image comic uh, by Brian K. Vaughn and uh, Cliff Chang. 
they did such a nice job with the story of these uh, four teenage girls. I don't even want to give away too much. Kind of the less you know about it going in, the better. But that's who jumped out at me as somebody that I would like to see do a nice long run with Spider-Man. Uh, and I know that Brian K. Vaughn has done some Spider-Man one-shots or, or miniseries in the past. But to see those two together on a nice long run, they did so nice bringing these teenage girls to life. I think whether they were going to do Peter in high school just starting out or even a modern day uh, you know, adult Peter dealing with things. Cliff Chang's art, you know, there's a lot of scenes that in a lesser artist in, in this run of Paper Girls could just be talking heads, but his body language, his storytelling, all of that um, just kept every scene uh, powerful and meaningful and and just a joy to look at. And uh, the collaboration between Vaughn and, and Chang really creates some wonderful character moments. So that's my choice for who I'd like to see do a you know nice, sizable run on a flagship book. All right. Well, I have a few names. I have actually... <laughs> <laughs> I have seven Wait, I names. I didn't know we could do a few. <laughs> we can do a few. We can do a few. It's it's allowed because we make the rules. So all of these are people that I, I know. And by, by that, I mean people who, if they saw me walking down the street, could say, it's Eric. <laughs> hey, you know, so that's how I'm, I'm uh, going with uh, people I know. Uh, all of these people have uh, ability to do all ages. Mm. All of these people have ability to do humor and action, both the writers and the artists. And that's kind of what I'm looking for with Spider-Man, something that can run the gamut. It can appeal to anybody and uh, can be funny and hit all those notes. So for the writers, uh, one uh, one pair, uh, my friend Jason Inman and Ashley Robinson, they have written uh, books such as Jupiter Jet, which is a fantastic rocketeer-like uh, science fiction story that uh, I will recommend to you and your daughter. Awesome. Uh, They've also uh, they've they've done they've done some other things. I, I wrote the uh, the forward to their second book, Science, with an exclamation point. <laughs> um, and uh, they're just um, everything uh, that they've done. It's improved in quality from one book to the next, and it's all it's got heart. So I think that that uh, makes them a, a good good quality choice. Another one, uh, my friend Kevin Scott, who has done uh, a lot with Doctor Who. He's done a lot with uh, currently Star Wars. He's writing Star Wars Left, Right, and Sideways. He did the uh, the Vader's Castle uh, horror mm. anthology for IDW. He's um, he's doing a uh, a Marvel series coming up, uh, looking at uh, an unexplored uh, section of the Star Wars history. Mm. And he does a fantastic job with all ages and with humor. So I mean, it's not like the the Spider-Man stories need to be all ages, but the fact that uh, a person who can write all ages is on the book just means that they're not going to go too far in any one direction. Uh, and then finally, my friend Dan, Dan Milano, who co-created the show Glitch Text, which we've talked about before, yeah. and he is uh, he is a uh, an entertaining fella and has written some uh, good stuff. He's got a he's got a great sense of humor uh, that would uh, fit well with Spider Man. Uh, now I'm going to look at artists real quick, and I'll be brief. Uh, some of them have worked in Spider Man, not not long runs, you know, maybe a guest appearance here and there. But uh, we've got uh, Erica Henderson, who mm -hmm. did Squirrel Girl for many years, and my goodness, she has uh she's very funny first off but she's got such great pacing for comedy and action and you couldn't ask for better when it comes to spider-man <laughs> he's got a lot of action got a lot of comedy uh the pacing is important evan shaner mm -hmm. who uh he's his 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 work is amazing and uh I, i'd like to see it i'd like to see it just because he would give me the side eye for for suggesting him but uh he he really would he I, I can't think of a thing he would be bad on although i do know that his heart 
truly rests with comic strips. Yeah. <laughs> and if he had the opportunity, he'd be off drawing comic strips uh, for the rest of his life and happy doing so. But uh, until the time that that is a viable option, we'll, uh, we'll pull him onto some superhero stuff and Spider-Man would be good. Uh, finally, a, a guy who has uh, done a lot of work in animation and designed one of our favorite uh, Spider-Man cartoons, Sean Galloway. Are you familiar with his stuff? Oh, yeah, most definitely. Spectacular Spider-Man, that's right. He has, uh, he's another one who has a great sense of humor and just a style that is kinetic and, and just a, a good-natured fella that bleeds through to his work. It, all, all of those choices would make for some spectacular Spider-Man comics, and I am standing by it. I said it. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, spoiler alert uh, for when we get to the animation uh, episode. Spectacular Spider-Man is my favorite animated Spider-Man thing, and, and one of my favorite Spider-Man things of all time. That It was only two seasons. It's beautiful. It captures everything you know, sort of the way when we talk about Batman's animated series, cherry picking everything and, and distilling it to its perfect form. I feel like Spectacular Spider-Man animated series came close. And I love Sean Galloway's art. I follow mm -hmm. him on every platform he's on and uh, always find his work inspiring as a cartoonist myself. So I great choices all around. Um, another one that I just thought of as we were talking, uh, a few years ago, there was just a delightful series of Spider-Man. The artists called them zines. I mean, they were they were really just these cute little webtoons um, uh, written and illustrated by a cartoonist named, uh, I believe it's pronounced Hannah Blumenreich. <laughs> I'm laughing because I knew where you were going with this before you even finished. <laughs> I think she's yeah. actually gotten to do some uh, Spider-Man work officially. Yes, oh, I believe lovely. she has. Um, I gotta and, find that. And and I mean, well deserved because those were some great fun shorts that she put out onto the internet. I mean, it really showed uh, a real understanding of the character, but also it was such a fresh reinterpretation. I mean, it wasn't my Spider-Man necessarily, or not mm -hmm. your father's Spider-Man, but it was it was beautiful, lovely stuff. I'm gonna tweet out a link to the collection of her Spidey zines uh, when this episode drops because it's lovely stuff. Yes, it is. Uh, I agree with you there. And I was happy when I saw that she'd gotten some work officially from Marvel out of it, because that's kind of what you want to see when someone is both good and interested. Right. <laughs> Tons of talent. All righty. So we uh, we come to our final section in just a second. That's right. We added one. Okay, now it is the final section that we added. Some reader comments. Our first response came on Twitter. They came when we, we announced that we were about to start recording the Spider-Man 2 commentary. And, uh, you know, we got a nice little, nice little shout-out. Person giving their thoughts. Ethan is going to read that. But uh, first, this fella is going to win our first no prize. We're giving them away. Marvel stopped doing it. It's an E-no prize. <laughs> electronic no prize or e for ethan and eric either way you want to go with it but you've won the winner of the inaugural e no prize is toby rogers who on twitter is at diehardest 13 and he says just listen to the first episode very good and makes me want to watch the first two Raimi Spider-Man movies again. I remember watching SM2 last year and thinking the special effects still hold up to today's standards. Toby, I agree 100%. Mm -hmm. It's true. Uh, so yes, uh, Toby, you've won the first Eno prize and uh, congratulations. We'll, uh, we'll send that out by Dove yeah. uh, and shortly. <laughs> the John Those, Woo Doves, they carry the, our the Eno prize. From the, uh, Spider -Man PS4 game will oh, the pigeon from the Spider-Man PS4 game. The pigeon from the Spider-Man PS4. I was, I was thinking John Woo doves were out of work oh. and that's what i was going to choose but hey sure. the pigeons can also work <laughs> your your eno prize is on the way another way Thanks to get an eno prize we, yes you really you. appreciate it yes thank you so much we uh, another way to to get this eno prize is to answer coach's question 
Ethan has a question for you, and we want to know what your answer is. So, sir, what do you got this week? This is exciting. This is our new feature, Coach's Question, where I'm going to be asking our listeners a trivia question, and we're going to see what you get. And to stay off the Google for these. Um, so the first coach's question is Spider-Man 2002 broke box office records when it premiered with $114.8 million in its opening weekend. My question for you, how long did it hold that record? And for a bonus double Eno prize, who broke the record? Hey, there you go. That's something that you could Google, but hopefully you won't have to. We will take your answers via email. You can reach us at cinemaspidey at mail.com. We'll take it through the message function of anchor.fm slash webheadpodcast, or we'll take it by tweets. You can tweet us at webheadpodcast on Twitter. And I just took Ethan's job at explaining all the ways <laughs> to get a hold of us. I like yeah, the Yeah, it was, it was natural. It was natural. It felt good. I liked it. It worked it out. Friday moment. That's it. So we're uh, we're ending this uh, first episode of Spider-Man 2. Uh, Friendly Neighborhood Webhead Podcast will return next Friday, honest and for true. And we can't wait to see you back here then. Take care, everybody.